0: But what's really important for us as men is that we step up and we say that we failed and that we're going to do something about it. And it's okay. And I want them to learn that so that they don't try to hide from their problems. They can go and tackle their problems when they come up. Um, and it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to fail. Because when you recognize that you failed, that you can make that correction. If we live in a uh, state where we don't see any failure, failure has got to be all around us.
1: Welcome to the Jamodi Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamodi, just a matter of doing it. Today, we are joined by the head coach of the University of Illinois men's wheelchair basketball team, Matt Bushey. Coach Bushy has been coaching for over 15 years at Illinois, Alabama, and Oklahoma State. He led his teams to high school national championships in 2002 and 2003, as well as a college national championship in 2008. Coach Bushy was a Team USA women's assistant coach from 2009 and 2012. Before we hear from Coach, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jumoti Podcast. Coach, what's up, man?
0: Uh, not too much, you know, just basketball. Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm <laughs> just... yeah. How are you? Oh good. I'm just so glad that we got to do this.
0: I mean, I've just got done watching uh your conversation with coach neighbors. And I was like, oh man, that was so great. That's a really good conversation.
1: Like, I feel like he's the coach that I want to be one day. Like I wanna you know, be right? I wanna be like him.
0: <laughs> yeah, Yeah. And I just got back this uh, weekend. We were I was in Chicago for the PGC clinic. Uh, there was a coaching clinic up there and yeah. he came up and he was speaking to the group. And so I got to talk with him and interact and Yeah, so it was really funny because a lot of things that he hit on during your conversation, he talked about this weekend. I was like, oh, I remember that. I remember that. Oh,
1: that's cool. That's cool. Well, I want to first talk talk about just the connection that you and I had because uh, I've I've been really been looking forward to this one. We were at a PGC uh, coaches, not not really a clinic, more of a retreat. And it was the first one that I think PGC had done in any, you know, if they do it again, I... I want to encourage any coaches to look into that because it really was a special uh, environment. I mean, how often do you get to have a weekend with Mono and TJ and Sam and just sit there and really get to talk one on one? But that's where I met you. And it, I just I think your your passion for the game is was just infectious. And like, like I felt it from the very beginning and then enjoyed our talk and got to learn more about you. So, man, thank you so much for, for coming on here with me.
0: Oh, I, it's a privilege to be able to do it because again, I've been watching a lot of the uh, recordings that you've been putting up and I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool to be a part of this crowd. I like it. This is a fun <laughs> conversation. And uh, it's really unique too, because wheelchair basketball is basketball, but it's a whole different thing in the uh, same aspect. So it'd be fun to, you know, share what I know about my sport and what we do.
1: And that's 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 what I love too was learning about some of the similarities and then some of the new things and the ways that ways that you've been able to adapt drills and and different techniques and things to fit the differences in your game. I just found that fascinating with our little talk that we had outside of the outside the hotel,
0: yeah, 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 I mean coming to p g c one the culture is the big thing for me. It's just like that. It doesn't matter what sport you're doing; it works across the board. Uh, when they put together just people working together and bonding, and also the sticky language that they yeah. use is really great. And I'm constantly looking for sticky language now. Now that they've talked about it, um, but ultimately the drills and me going to PGC or any of these coaching clinics, it's about like basically solving a puzzle. Uh, I get an opportunity to look at this, go, okay, how does this work, or how can this not work for wheelchair basketball, and You know, with our sport, we don't have any lateral movement because you're in in the wheelchair. You can't go side to side. You've got to be able to rotate around. Um, So that actually takes a lot of the drills and go, Okay, well, that may not work, but it might work some other way.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what, as coaches, what we should be doing anyway is you look at a drill and you try to figure out, okay, how will this really work for us and what we do? But then you take that to a whole other level with the differences between the games.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun with those coaching clinics, the conversations I get to have with coaches, um, because I feel like there's a separation when it comes to the sport or maybe the level of coaching. But when we were in the, one of those uh, big meeting rooms and we were talking to coach neighbors, we asked him about um, what is the hardest thing that you do in your job? Like, what's the thing that you worry about the most? And it would, he said it was decision making is that my decision affects 30 plus people in my group. Um, and so that takes a, a toll on me, and I'm sitting back, going, "Okay, I'm not the only one." That's great to hear. And then the <laughs> rest of the coaches, we talked about it. And we're like, "Yeah, everyone is feeling that way." Is that yeah? When you're in a coaching position, you feel a lot of responsibility, and it's so great to hear that even people that we look up to feel the same feelings that we do. And I'm like, "Okay, it's almost like it gives me a feeling of normalcy, right? Yes. Like, cool. All right, we're good. We're doing the right thing."
1: Coach, I love that question. What's the hardest thing? I, I, Cause you've already, now that you're within this process, you realize I send out a list of questions and those are the questions that I, I want to, I don't, I don't care who I'm talking to. I want to know the answers to those. Like if I, if I was to go to a clinic, my perfect clinic would be one person talking about all of these questions and answering them. Yeah. But that is one that I'm going to add because, yeah. it, and I'm, I'm in, I'd be interested to see. Do, those, do the answers change depending on the level that that coach is at? You know, at the D1 level, all the way down to the small private school, high school level like me, would our answers be different? Coach, I'm going to ask you, what's the hardest yeah. thing about, about your job?
0: Well, I think the hardest thing for me in a college setting is for recruitment. Um, and I think it's mostly based on what school I'm located with. So I work at the University of Illinois. And our school is a high academic school or Big Ten University, and it's difficult academically to get in. And uh, with some of the student athletes that we have that have physical disabilities, Mm -hmm. um, they may not have the grades to be able to get there compared to some of my counterparts that I might be battling with in recruitment. Um, So not only am I trying to encourage these athletes to be able to come to our school and our program, but the academic side is something else that we're pushing, which we ultimately want to get the best academic players into our program too, because They've got to graduate and, you know, move on with their their lives in that way, too.
1: What are some of the big schools that you mentioned kind of that you're competing against for players? Who, who, who are those schools?
0: Yeah. So we have 14 college programs on the men's side. The majority of them are in the Midwest and there are a variety of different divisions. So, again, we're the only Big Ten University that has a program. Uh, but big schools in the South is uh, University of Alabama, uh, Auburn University, uh, Texas, Arlington are some of our big schools in the South. Uh, Missouri just uh, nearby us Mizzou has a program and then there's some other smaller schools that kind of stretch out a little bit further so Arizona and Eastern Washington University out on the west coast um, we have a new program now that's City University of New York that's a new Mm. program that started up but um, it ultimately depends on the program starts based on somebody being in that school that's interested and excited about trying to bring adaptive sports to that area and then it kind of grassroots blows up from there
1: are you involved in helping to grow it more across the country like because I would imagine even though you're competing against these schools for players and for for championships you also want the popularity and the sport to grow and so how involved are you with with that
0: yeah well I think our program has always been a resource for other college programs of like how how to do it um, with our wheelchair basketball program, we've had, we're have had we the oldest collegiate program in the United States. So our program started in 1948. Mm. And uh, so a lot of the other schools started based on some kind of framework of what we've had here at Illinois. Um, but we've also made some adjustments even in our college division where we'll have teams come in and we consider them emerging teams. So the first three years, maybe four years, depending on what they need, um we'll be a little bit more flexible about what student athletes are on their program so they could technically have community members that are around the same college age that want to be participating um or what we would have is some people that don't have a physical disability at all could play in the team just to have numbers enough for them mm. to play games and then that coach can recruit and tell other students that are potentially coming in, we have a program rather than we may have a program in the future. We don't know. That's hard to recruit to.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think throughout our talk, we'll get to discuss some of the similarities, but differences between our sports, but some things like who you're learning from, culture, uh activities things like that it doesn't matter what sport we're talking about we can talk about football and it would still it would still carry over so what's one of the best things that you've borrowed lately
0: uh so coach neighbors again coach neighbors um he had a star passing and catching drill that he just threw up on his youtube channel uh a little while ago and i was reflecting back on some of the drills that we do normally for warm-up drills and, you know, a lot of the times it's those coaches are just like, well, these are the drills we do for warm up. just do those every time we have a game and there's no real um, effort or like thought process behind it. And so just kind of sitting back and watching going, OK, well, what we currently do for a warm up layup drill doesn't really reflect what we're going to want in the game. Mm. So how do we incorporate something else that's going to reflect it more? And we've got to do better at passing because in wheelchair basketball, not being able to have the lateral movement to recover and try to grab a pass, it's got to be on point in the chest to be able to be in a shooting pocket. So incorporating the star drill, I made an adjustment to it and called it game time layups. And we just made an adjustment where we were putting the guys in certain positions that were very much game-like shot spots where they would have to catch, show shot, and then send it to the next person and had them rotate through. And, you know, adding a new drill like that always gets the athletes excited that there's something new to pay attention to.
1: What are some ways that you could take something like that, and do you make it competitive within practice?
0: Yeah, so we had our main focus on passing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talked about passing. It's got to be in the strike zone. So just being from below the shoulders, above the hips, between the shoulder blades, Um, that zone right in front of the core was like, okay, that's where the pass has got to be at. And with wheelchair basketball, we've got people with different disabilities and levels of ability to move. Mm -hmm. So you have some guys that might have an injury that's really high in the chest, when they get a ball outside their cylinder, their body starts to fall and they have to pick themselves up. So if you want to and make them more successful, you got to give them a pass right to the chest to make it work. So we started calling balls and strikes. And so the guys started counting the strikes and had a number running. And then when somebody threw it outside the ball, and then everyone would just have to reset the number back to zero. And we'd start to count again. And uh, the guys really got into it where they started evaluating each other harder than I would have been evaluating them. It's like, it was a good catch, but it was outside the cylinder. (laughs) He'll get the ball, let's move on, let's go. Um, So yeah, we've made it a competitive drill now that we've got a number up there for our game time layups is you know whatever number we're trying to hit in a row.
1: So it sounds like passing is just a really important skill in, yeah. in your game, as it is in, in ours. And and sure. and what part does dribbling have in it? Because I'm trying to think of like how, how individual skill work is just such a big part. And Coach Neighbors talked about that too. I mean, everything basically is skill work. Um, what part does the bounce, the dribble, play in your game?
0: Sure. Um, so talk a little bit about the wheelchair basketball rules compared to yeah. our table body rules. Um, for wheelchair basketball, you get two pushes and then you've got to dribble the ball, like a two-step rule. Mm-hmm. And a three push is a travel. Um, but a push is technically touching your wheels. So if I had the ball in my lap and I took one push and then I grabbed my wheel to turn, I'm kind of stuck on that push, kind of like stuck on a pivot foot. So if I were to take my hand off the wheel and try to touch the other wheel again, that's the travel once going the other way um but there's no double dribble rule in wheelchair basketball either because you don't have the lateral movement to get out of there you've got to be able to just put the ball back down to the floor um but with those rules then now what we're trying to do is figure out how do you change direction and pace with the dribble knowing that you've also got to use your off hand to be able to Mm. move the chair at the same time um so there's a lot of skill-based work where we're doing ball handling, which it's a location-based thing in the chair. You don't want to go too far out wide or you might hit your big wheel too far out in front. You might hit the foot plate and send it out uh, out front. So it's got to be an even 45 right there at the small caster in front of the chair. But then adding to that, can you get behind the back? Because you know you'll have a defender in your face. You might have to change positions behind you so Hmm. that you're able to change directions with your outside hand and push um bounce stops is another big thing too we talk about where if i'm in full speed rotation i'm heading really fast to the defender and i need to stop the ability to bounce the ball and while the ball is in air hitting the brakes and then catching it to be able to make your next move is a standard like skill that we teach young kids because they've got to be able to control themselves and the ball at the same time can a majority
1: of players do that 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 action that you just said like i mean because it sounds yeah. to me, it sounds really hard. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I think for most that have never played wheelchair basketball and we get them in a chair, the first thing wanna do is they want to put the ball directly in their lap and then just start pushing. But if you were to put the ball in your lap and have a defender on you, they're just gonna tap it out of your lap and just go with it. So being able to stay active in pushing while dribbling is really important. And being able to bounce stop so that you don't run into a player and create a charge is really important too. Because in wheelchair basketball, the chair is a part of the body. So it accounts for the same type of fouls as mm. for our able body counterparts. So if a defender is stopped in the key and you run into them and you flip yourself over, that's a charge on you and it's heading the other way.
1: Wow. So yeah. in practice, what's the breakdown from individual skill, whether it's working on your handle, your passing, your shooting, but then also then your competitive team play? How do you how to kind of take us through how you map out a practice?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Uh, Coach here previously, it was very good at building a minute by minute practice plans, and that's what I always learn under is trying to organize it that way. But we also have a structure of building from small individual and small group work, building up to the five on five at the end of the practice. Um, so we try to do that. Our practices are 6.30 to 8.30 in the morning, Monday through Friday. So we got early rise. That's, uh, that that's
1: early. Now, the nice thing is 8.30. Golly, I have the rest of my day, but that's, <laughs> that's early. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, and so then at 8.30, what we also do for about 30 to 45 minutes is we'll have a couple of the athletes stay after what we call small group, and they get to work on individual skills that's outside of our normal game plan, but it's something they need to be working on, and they get one-on-one time with me and my assistant coach. So they get to get their individual work done there. So it's kind of a full circle thing that they start with small skills, building up to small group, large group, and then back to individual before we wrap the day up. Um, But yeah, we practice five days a week in Monday through Friday there. And then the athletes are also required for our lifting training that we do lifting three times a week with our uh, strength and conditioning.
1: What do do workouts look like, weight workouts look like?
0: Sure. Um, We've got a really great, wheelchair accessible gym facility that's in my building um, because I'm my office is in disability services. So we have a wide variety of disability services for the university. Hmm. Um, but we have a fully accessible gym. and We've got a full-time physical therapist and athletic trainer here. And our strength and conditioning plans are actually wrote by our track coach that does wheelchair track. And he coaches a lot of the athletes right now that are winning goals in the Paralympics. And they just got done doing the Chicago Marathon. And the top four women finishers were all his athletes. And Mm. so it was like number five and on was the rest of the world, but his athletes were on top. So super creative guy, making sure that we're working on all the different groups that they need for balance and also strength. Um, But we also know too, that our athletes, when they get done, they still need their shoulders to be able to live because they're gonna be pushing these chairs on a daily basis. And um, before my time, the guys that we would play here their shoulders would just be shot because we would go full force all the time. And it's like basically putting a ton of work on your knees and then you have knees replaced, but your shoulders, you're constantly using them when you're pushing in a chair.
1: Wow. Yeah. Just something I never, I never thought of before. So obviously like any college program, you guys are, are working really hard and to, to come together and try to win a championship. But then you know uh, my my experience with with college basketball, the ability to play it maybe overseas uh, g league nBA if you're a part of that elite group I mean obviously you, you have o- Olympics that they can be a part of, but then yeah where where else can they continue to play and and be competitive with this
0: sure, so the university sorry the United States has the National Wheelchair Basketball Association, which is the NBA for wheelchair basketball. Yeah, and uh, beyond it being like the top league, it's three different divisions for adult leagues, and then they have their kids leagues. It's all involved. So some of our athletes, after they graduate from our program, may continue with recreational sport at one of those levels. Which the D one level is that itself a D one level? That's the top players. D three are kind of the old guys of just really enjoying pushing around and having a good time, Um, but some of our athletes, their goals are is to finish their degree and then try to go overseas to play pro. Um, there is not a professional league here in the States, mm. but there are several pro leagues in Europe. And uh, many of the guys are going over to Germany or Italy or Spain, places like that that have professional teams that they get to play. Um, it's not the big bucks like some of our able body counterparts, but what's really cool is they get an opportunity to kind of take those early 20s And experience international travel, playing ball, and living the dream, you know?
1: Coach, playing pro is playing pro. I I don't care where it is. And this is speaking from somebody, as we're talking, I'm sipping out of my Icelandic uh, uh, coffee cup here. Coach, I played in in Iceland for one year. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you how many, how few kroners that I made, but to make extra money one time, I, I was a Saturday morning, I moved coffee grounds from one truck to another truck just to make some extra cash. So like, I get it. I mean, if you love the game enough, you're willing to go anywhere and to make any amount of money to do it.
0: Sure. Well, and these guys now have access to the NIL deals. This is something that's fully opening up the opportunities for college students that used to be like, oh, it's a college student. You live off your college money and you eat ramen or whatever. But these guys have opportunities to interact with organizations and companies here locally and be sponsorship. That's a great point. it's, It's so cool to see that they have these opportunities, but then also the flip side of it is we want to make sure that they're prepared for these conversations and opportunities. So really having strong discussions with them about who they're interacting with and, you know, what the process may look like, which is totally new for me too. I don't really know where we're going with it.
1: And that was going to be my follow-up. Yeah. Was So do you yeah. feel like now a part of your program, be, because I have heard at other programs, they literally have someone on staff and their job is to help athletes through that. I mean, is that, so you feel like that, that's now a part of your job is you got to yeah. help them through almost like a, an, not an agent, but you're helping them through these conversations with in, in these deals.
0: Yeah, there's some regulations involved with the mm-hmm. NIL of like, we can't reach out to the organization and and basically sell one of our athletes to them. Um, That's a good rule. That's a good rule. (laughs) So when when we build that conversation, uh, like when one of our athletes maybe interacts with a a program or a company that's here locally, we want to make sure that they are having conversations with us and talking about, you know, what is the identity that they're going to be presenting in there and Mm. understanding that when they go and represent themselves, they're also representing our program at the same time. It's going to make sure that it's the right way of doing it. Um, But it's just so new that we're just kind of, it's kind of weird. It's kind of wild west stuff right now that whoever takes full advantage of it can really make a lot out of it.
1: Coaches, the Jamoni podcast is powered by Biology. What's your BSA score? The Bology skills assessment is the only verified skills metric endorsed by the NAIA, NJCAA, and a growing number of NCAA coaches to discover and develop the best talent for your team. This four-minute, 40-shot test can be taken free today on the Bology mobile app. Elevate your game. I know your ties with PGC and also you know Coach Neighbors, you mentioned following him. What are some of the coaches and leaders that you follow closely?
0: Yeah, yeah, so PGC, Coach Neighbors is definitely a big one on there. Um, For me for wheelchair basketball it's it's really interesting that there is not that many standout Hmm. coaches for information like pgc is um so i'm kind of hoping that i can build that for a lot of our coaches in our in our uh do you have clinics are
1: there any clinics that you have that are for wheelchair basketball i mean that you're maybe running or starting
0: sure so the university of illinois we run most of the university programs run summer camps for kids um, so we'll run basketball camps there. We run two camps here. One that's a individual skills camp that's for younger age, and then we run a camp that's called a premier camp, which is basically run like a national team training camp. Mm. We'll bring in 30 athletes and we'll run them at a high level level and run different skills. But beyond that, what we also do, myself and uh, our women's coach, Coach Wheeler, um, we'll run a coaching clinic in conjunction with those camps. So we'll bring coaches in from high school level or, you know, they could be coming from international um, and they come to the program. And in between meal breaks, we're talking about different coaching skills and trying to build them on that. So, you know, University of Illinois has always been that light that's trying to light up other programs. And we continue to try to do that during camps. Yeah, that, that's
1: awesome. And, and you know, you, you mentioned your your club being or yeah, program, I mean, but I thought you used club, yeah, but I don't want to say that if you did. Yeah,
0: I mean, it is our program. Program, um, They're yeah. all clubs. And, you know, when it comes down to it, we have a bunch of teams in the college division. Um, and only two of them are actually associated with their athletic departments. Okay. Um, so the rest of us are a variety of different positions. You know, yeah. we have some that are fully campus rec. And then we are kind of a hybrid where we have some relationship with our athletic department, but we're mostly a disability services resource for students. So hmm. you come to the University of Illinois as a student with a disability, you would get access to resources with academics, um, with mental health, and also with physical education. So you get physical support with wheelchair basketball.
1: So you mentioned your, your program being around since the 40s, yeah. right? 1940. Yeah. Why do you feel like... Um, I mean, and maybe it's you, maybe we, you know, we've been waiting for you to somebody with your level of passion, uh, love for, you know, talking hoops and and meeting with coaches to do something like that. But well, let me ask you this. Do you, do you feel like there's a reason for the slower growth in it um, or the, or, or what is the reason why there hasn't been that John Wooden esque type coach to come through and, and like you kind of said a second, a PGC term be a light.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that there has been, but because our community is so small, mm. and they feels like there's a separation between the two, uh, not many of our coaches cross that uh, that line and go into the able body side. But I look at it as like, we're probably missing out on a ton of drills and activities that we don't do, because you only know so much when you're in your own echo chamber. And when I've had coaches in the past, we've had incredible coaches here at Illinois that have really worked on the fundamentals. And really, the former coach of mine, Coach Mike Frogley, he was a national team coach for Team Canada and won multiple gold medals with them, like things that he would run all the other college programs would run because that's what Coach Frogley would do. And so they would all run that stuff. Um, but in outside of our world, there wasn't many people that understood the impact that was happening on our sport. Um, and I just think it's important for us to reach out across to the basketball side because not many do. And it would be awesome to see some collaboration between the two. Yeah, um, the, excited, the exciting thing for me is is when I share about wheelchair basketball on platforms like yours, I'm hoping that there's coaches that are listening that are a part of a school or a program and they know somebody that is in a chair that maybe doesn't participate in sports or doesn't have an outlet to it. And this can somehow be a connection to go, you know what, I want to talk with so-and-so and and see if they know about wheelchair basketball, they know about adaptive sports, and maybe we can get them connected that way. Because there's over 200 different wheelchair basketball programs across the country, Um, so it doesn't matter where you are in the country there are options for people with disabilities
1: i love that and and i think it was jordan peterson that said like assume that everybody that you're talking to can teach you something and that i mean i i just as, when i was meeting with you again just kind of captivated one I, it was you like you your passion i think what what is impressive with people is or that kind of draws you in it's that authenticity You know when they're when you can really feel like they're this is they're the real deal. So I felt that about you, but then I just found myself being fascinated with you know what are what are the differences, what are things that work for you that 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 we don't do, and vice versa. So like I, I agree with you. There's you've obviously found with going to PGCs that there's things that you can learn, and then but I would I have to imagine that there's things that that I can learn as well.
0: Yeah. I'm always a student of the game. I have to be a student of the game all the time. And if there are people that are around you that also are students, it just increases the energy so much. And that's why any opportunity that can be around the PGC guys and ladies, it's like, you gotta be involved. Um, They they make me a better coach um, because they challenge what I'm thinking. And they also remind me of the things that I have as my core values that I get lost in when you get lost in the weeds of like, I just got to figure out this defensive set and we're going to be okay. But they bring it back to what are we really coaching for? It's, it's about them. It's about those athletes. You know, we got to take care of them.
1: Coach, well said. Like, I, I think that's it's exactly what I felt like when I went to my, observed my first PGC session as a coach. It was like coming home. It was like, yes, this is why I'm doing this. Man, why have I forgotten that? Like in a reminder of getting back to those basics and the why behind it. But I don't think I've ever heard anybody say it that well. So I'm, I'm going to, in some ways, be stealing that going forward or borrowing. That was good.
0: And and that's what we do as coaches too, right? We borrow slash steal what yep. we got. But those little reminders are so They hit so hard because it's things that you already know, but you just didn't think about them. And uh, Coach Sam, when we were at this last coaching clinic, he was talking a little bit about, you know, best practices of practices. And he mentioned something in there about the the idea of the athletes. It's not important about thinking about what they're going to do next for pass, dribble, shoot. What's important is, is the other players that don't have the ball, what they're going to be doing. And we think so much about when the ball, the person has the ball, what are you going to do next? But I'm like, there's four other people out there that have to make decisions too in order to make that person work. Um, I was just sitting there taking the notes going, whoa, yeah, you've got, (laughs) what what you currently are thinking about, it's times four of the people that need your focus without the ball.
1: I'm thinking of, what are your thoughts on this? I'm thinking of taking the, one of the, there's a couple questions that have to deal with culture. And, yeah. and I think it was uh oh, Porter Moser uh, at, at Oklahoma. There's this little 30 second clip of him saying, yeah, you know, our culture is really, really important. And he's like, Oh, well, now that I said that word, I know I'm going to be on all of these memes of about culture and, <laughs> and how it's I, we, we say that word all the time, but, and then he did this kind of funny thing, yeah, but I feel that way about I'm, I want to know about programs, culture. I want to know what people are doing to build it, but it's almost like, I think I need to take that word out and just say, what are your favorite standard building games or <laughs> just standards just sound better now, but what are, what are some of your favorite culture building activities?
0: So I think culture is still big, yeah. but it's how we frame what culture is. And I think it's, Ability to bond. And the way college young men need to bond is by allowing them to drop egos and be vulnerable. And that, when I'm able to put together an activity that allows them to be vulnerable and succeed as a group, that's always going to stick. And for me, my second year coaching, this is my 10th season with the men's team. Um, My second year, I was trying to find for what's some big splash at the beginning of the year that we can make a huge platform base of our culture. And we're very fortunate here in Illinois that there is a 4-H campground site owned by the university. It's about 45 minutes outside of here. It's been a couple of some cabins up in the woods. And it's like perfect. That's it's, awesome. We, it's wheelchair really <laughs> accessible for us too. So it worked out perfect that way. And it's it feels like whatever the movie you can think of of where the summer camp is, where it's like a big room full of bunk beds that are all lined up it's exactly that so we get there and a lot of the freshmen that come in i'm like pick a bunk we got activities in 10 minutes and they're like i don't know what's going to happen and a lot of these kids are not used to being out in the woods and being in nature so that's good experience um but we just spend a whole weekend working on team activities whether they are fun activities the bond thinking activities challenging activities um But beyond what we work on and what goals we talk about, we always finish the first night around the bonfire. And uh, we'll get around the circle there. We get to talk a little bit and share some things. But then there's always a point where I step in and I pass around a piece of paper and pens to all the guys. And I say, I want you to really reflect on what is the biggest thing that you're worried about this season? What's the thing that's holding on you the most? Write it down on the piece of paper. And once everybody writes, this fire is our place of safety where we're around the circles our fires are safety if you want to share with the group you can because when you share your teammates are going to let you know how they're going to support you through this and we get guys that share big things and it's amazing every year where i'm like you know they're just going to say i'm worried about this or that or school or whatever but big family stuff big life stuff comes out and when they feel fully comfortable I asked them, if you feel like you're trusted by your teammates and supported by your teammates to take care of this problem, burn it in the fire and let's get rid of it. It's no longer a problem for you. And the physical thing of burning that, mm. you could see the weight just kind of drop off. And that next morning, this crew is a totally different crew. They wake up that morning, we get in activities and they just feel so relaxed and bonded as a group. And then we're off and running. And, uh, it's so wild that we've had incredible highs and incredible lows on and off the court. But if I call any of the guys that I've coached in the past and go, tell me some things you remember from playing here, the first thing they come up with is the camping trip. Oh, the camping trip is so great. You, you're still doing that, coach, right? You're still doing it? I'm like, yeah, we're still doing it. And uh, it's, it's a never-ending, positive response for us. Man,
1: thank you for sharing that yeah i love the way you said uh, because you're right on the money it's the we need to put them in a position where we strip their egos down right isn't that that's what you said because i don't care it's not male or female it's we're all guarded we're all insecure and we're all going to hold back especially if we feel like there's some type of danger of getting Hurt, whether it's emotionally, probably not physically, but emotionally within a team. uh, And and that insecurity comes up. So you're right. It it doesn't, I love that activity. I like the idea of taking them away uh, out of their comfort zone where they're really have to, they're together, they have to rely on each other. So it's like, I love that idea, but it doesn't really matter what the activity is if you can achieve what you said at the beginning, which is get them vulnerable, tear their egos down. That's great.
0: Yep. And what's really great that's been paying dividends is when we have problems throughout the season and maybe we're on the road or we're here on campus or something, I got myself a stuffed kids fire fire pit, like a little bonfire where you would fix s'mores or whatever. So anytime we got some breakdown, we have a team meeting, and I've got this little fire pit that we all circle around. And they're like, "Oh, coach is trying to get us vulnerable again." <laughs> like they just know it's coming that we've got to talk about.
1: Not again, series. coach. It's not <laughs> happening <I know>. again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's been great. And we, there have been moments where we're like, "Oh, we have a we have to have a serious talk." The guys will come in, be like, "Hey, coach, I think we need a bonfire talk." I'm like, mm. awesome. Let's take care of it. Let's do it. Because uh, they know that that's a moment where we can share our true feelings and know that the majority of the guys are not going to take them immediately personal, um, which is always a work in progress when it comes yeah. to that stuff. Yeah.
1: Another, I think a great tip for coaches that you said is, uh, and, and and neighbors kind of I refer to this too about asking former players, you know, what yeah. worked well, like what are some things that we need to keep doing? And I think that's, that's one, Hey, what, you know, whenever you're texting or talking to former players, what's something that, you really you know, miss or, or remember or enjoyed that you want to make sure we're still doing like, that's a good question to ask former players because it's amazing how, I mean, I, five or six years ago, I used to take our guys through a living without regret series Throughout the season, I mean, we would take 15, 20, sometimes 30 minutes of practice time. I had a PowerPoint. It was really the beginning of my PGC directing day. So I was all about PowerPoints and, yeah. and having everything <laughs> there. there. But, but, you know, I would take practice time and there are these 12 characteristics that, you know, we would go through throughout the year. And I felt like, man, if you guys really embrace these 12, then you'll live a life of no or little regret, which is the goal. And, but, you know, I got, I got away from that and I don't know if it was wanting to have them, uh, you know, up at the school with less time or wondering in myself, like, did they really enjoy that or embrace that? Or was that a waste of time? And so maybe I need to go back and ask, hey, what did you think of that? Or what did you think of these things that we used to do? And should we still be doing that? That's a, that's a great nugget there, coach.
0: I I, thing about vulnerability is that we can teach it. But we also have to be vulnerable ourselves, and we have to show at some moments that we can be vulnerable, and it's also a strength. Mm. And I'm speaking from exact experience right now um, because this preseason, I've got an incredibly talented team this year. And I've got a lot of veteran guys that are getting ready to finish their last year here with me, so I want to make the most out of it. And naturally, I'm an offense guy. Like, if I'm going to be talking basketball, I love talking the offensive side of things. Let's go. (laughs) But our guys really need also the help on the defensive side. So it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm going to step outside my comfort zone. I'm going to do some research. I'm really going to do some thinking and try to put together a plan that's really going to help us get stronger defensively. Um, So I had all these plans in place, and I'm trying to implement them in practice, and it's just not going well. And we just had this last practice where I had so many questions and frustration from them. I was like, this just kind of falling apart around me and was just not what I wanted. And I could see the body language that they were just not enjoying practice. Hmm. And that was hard for me to see because I'm like, that's, I ultimately want you guys to have a great time. It's supposed to be fun at practice. Um, So I took the weekend and it was just perfect that it happened just before the PGC clinic. So I went to PGC and got to share with a bunch of coaches and talk about it. And uh, this morning's practice, we didn't go to the gym, we went over to the pancake house over here and we all had breakfast and I had an apology breakfast with the guys. And the first thing I said to them was, I'm sorry, Hmm. I'm sorry, I made a mistake and I failed at something. But what's really important for us as men is that we step up and we say that we failed and that we're gonna do something about it and it's okay. um and i want them to learn that so that they don't try to hide from their problems they can go and tackle their problems when they come up um and it's okay to be wrong it's okay to fail because when you recognize that you fail then you can make that correction if we live in a uh, state where we don't see any failure failure's got to be all around us
1: is that hard for you to do or is it is it something like leading up to it or and then after how did you feel
0: yeah, I I was very nervous for the whole weekend thinking about it and getting prepared for it. was nervous about the whole idea, but I know that I've done the work with these guys on the culture side of things. Yeah. That They're going to understand where I'm coming from, and they're going to appreciate it. Um, so when I gave the talk to them, they 100% uh, understood, but they also wanted to make sure that they had their side to speak as well and said, yes, we agree that this is not working and we don't want to go this path. And I was like, that's okay. We'll work on a different path. Um, and then one of my guys uh, came out and was like, yeah, I didn't think this was how the breakfast was going to go. And I was like, <laughs> well, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I just didn't think it was going to be like this, but this is really good. This was productive. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, that's good to hear too. So that's uh, good. yeah, being productive with the guys.
1: The Jamoti Podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high-quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities, and make their jobs easier. Visit SidelineInteractive.com to check out their amazing products. What's one thing that makes your program different?
0: I think it's the push of making these guys better men and not just basketball players. Uh, and with my recruiting, a lot of my recruiting shaves off a lot of people that I've been talking to. If they come at me and they're like, how much scholarship money you got and how much playing time am I going to get? I go, <laughs> it's, been really, it's been really great talking yeah. to you. you know, I just,
1: what like, a oh, horrible God. way to start that conversation. Terrible. terrible. Yeah.
0: Um, but if there's people that can come in and go, coach, what are you looking for out of this next year's team and how can I be a part of it? how can I impact it? Man, I'm circling and uh, highlighting this guy's name. Um, So I think those are big areas that I'm pushing there culture-wise. And that when I have an opportunity to challenge them, they always seem to step up to the challenge because they rely on each other. Uh, It's very few opportunities where these guys just kind of collapse under the pressure. Um, And I think that's ultimately how we've built our culture what we do here differently is that we're building great people and we're thinking about it outside of basketball because even if they did go play pro overseas they're going to come back and they're going to be in the working world and they're going to start families and I want to make sure that they are a good representative of our program because they're a good person um so that's ultimately we're at and we'll do silly fun stuff as team groups where none of my guys know how to really work with tools and so one of the years we did a fundraiser for Habitat Humanity was called Raise the Whoop. And it was people building dog houses that then would be auctioned off and the money would go to Habitat Humanity. And I'm a bit of an amateur woodworker on the side nice. too. So I brought all my tools in and we were like, all right, let's go and let's build a dog house. And one of the guys had a plan together while the others were like, all right, what do I do? And they gave each other tasks to be able to build it and everything. And we put it together and. Um, what was ultimately really cool was the award that we won was uh, best spirited because the guys showed it off and they had such a great way of presenting it that the people watching it were just like, oh, you guys are awesome. We love it.
1: I think a great compliment of of a team would be they, they never fell apart under pressure. Yeah. And I think I think sometimes I would imagine with not just the positive culture things that you do, but also through your training and through practice. You put them through in positions intentionally to where there is pressure and where those moments could come up. Because how often, as coaches, I think, are we so protective over them, maybe their confidence, or that we really just step in like a parent and we rescue them out of danger before they actually have to go through anything and they're tested? And then the big moments. We're shocked, and we can't believe where well, they they did fall apart or their the culture did collapse. they did turn on each other and and with the blame game. So I would imagine you're pretty intentional throughout practice and throughout the year to create that type of environment.
0: Yeah, it depends on the season and how you're doing it because early in the season, you're building the foundation of their confidence, right. And then once you get into the middle part of the season and they've got some games in, now we test some areas and we push them a little bit. And at the end, now we're just trying to challenge them and see how far we can get them to go. Um, You know, last week we had a practice that was kind of a rough one and they just didn't feel success at the end of the practice. And I was reminding them of what I had heard about the rule of thirds. And the rule of thirds training is, is that when you're training, a third of the time should feel fantastic a third of the time should feel okay, and a third of the time it should suck. And if you don't have thirds of those three and everything feels great, you're not challenging yourself enough. And if everything sucks, you're overwhelmed and you're overworking and you need to bring it back. And so it's okay to have a practice or a session or a game or something suck, but just know that there's going to be some other good that's going to be followed behind it, and that's just the path of what we do throughout the season.
1: That's freeing for coaches, right, to hear. Because yes. I think sometimes we can have a bad practice and then either with ourselves or our coaching staff think, man, we're going the wrong direction right now. Like this thing, what, what's happening? A week ago, we felt great. And now if we are rising and falling, I think that's a great reminder for us as well.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> what's your
1: What's your favorite uh, style of play to teach? You mentioned Ooh. offense, which I, I, yes. I, you and I are aligned in that. So what's your favorite?
0: Yeah. Um, so with wheelchair basketball, it's kind of interesting that there's different dynamics to the sport of how you're moving people in certain places. And one of the uh, interesting things with PGC is working with uh, Rick, Rick Torbett, and his uh, you know read and react offense and his motion uh, work with players. And a lot of the reads and plays that he has has players passing the ball away and then entering and exiting the key through different locations. And for us, for wheelchair basketball, a person in a chair entering a key through the baseline and coming back out, just not going to happen. Chairs are too wide and people are going to stop you from those places. So we have to manipulate that a little bit and really create two-on-two two small games mm. on either side of the key and an interacting point person that's at the free throw line and get some plays going that way. And you can see a little bit from the, the board behind me, I've got some of the Rick torbitt esque uh, players there. Yeah. We got them into these kind of like trapezoid angled sides because these wheels that you have there have got to use them for picking in angles. So we try to get them set up in plays that have two main games on both sides and one on the top and how you get them to interact that way. Um, so I love systems and strategies and being people in locations. Space in wheelchair basketball is incredible. And the, in basketball in general, having a lot of space makes it difficult to defend. Yeah. But imagine having the space and then the players are not able to change direction laterally. And they also have to do everything in the chair. If you've got a guy that's a great three-point shooter and you're able to swing the ball efficiently – space kills defenses and so i love swinging the ball around and i've got highlight reels of different sports teams at different levels that swing the ball quickly and go how incredible would it be if in a you know 30 second shot clock we've got at least 12 passes Mm. before we're even thinking about shooting those defenses have no idea what to do in matchups so yeah it's it's always a fun challenge for me and Having these guys understand my system, being a lot of veterans, they start to get creative and go, "Well, which, what do you think about us doing this or doing that?" And having different reads in place, it's it's a fun fun time with these guys.
1: So, would you say that it's more concepts and action based, like within a continuity, or do you do you really just go set after set after set of plays or actions?
0: Yeah. So, with this group, I have gone with a set. But when you set that up, then there's multiple reads that can come off of that based on what you would like to do and what the defense is giving you. Um, So that's been an interesting one where if I go too close into a set, my feedback I get from the athletes is I'm too boxed in. I don't feel like I got any creativity. Mm -hmm. And then when I say, okay, well, you can do these options or I give you your opportunity to do whatever you want. They go, well, what do I do? I need some direction. So there's this interesting balance that you've got to do between the two of them. Yeah. And right now, this crew wants more freedom. They understand the sets, but they want some freedom to be able to make some reads. And I'm all for it because these guys, I can trust them to make those right reads. But
1: that's that's the art of it, right? The science is what we could, what patterns you could run and what, what concepts. But then the art uh, it, as a player is, Seeing the creativity and 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 adjustments that you can make. And as a coach, allowing that to happen, set creating an environment where that can happen instead of, you know, I've been as a player a part of some programs where felt like the creativity was just sucked out of the room, you know, and 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 so I think that's impressive on your front that you have concepts or systems in place, but then encouraging and allowing them to be, to have freedom when it works.
0: And coaches, we have to constantly keep reminding ourselves. We naturally are correctors. We wanna go out there and as soon as a reads wrong, ah, you should have done it this way or whatever. But what we've gotta do is we've gotta celebrate people, the, the athletes challenging themselves mm. and doing something new because they're not gonna to continue to try it unless we try to you know, celebrate it. You know, What gets uh, praised gets repeated. And that's, that's the biggest thing there is seeing these guys go, well, I thought I might be able to do this. Cool. Go try it one time. I want to see how it works. If it goes anywhere close to what they wanted to, celebrating the heck out of it and letting them know.
1: I think that's a huge difference maker right there. Gannon Baker was the, the guy that said, we need to celebrate tries. And he, yeah. he, he said where <laughs> he disagrees with Yoda. You know, do or do not. There is no try. He said, "I love Yoda," but he's wrong there. You know, in, in our game, with the amount of mistakes that there are and the creativity that we want, celebrating the intentions behind what they were trying to do. I think that's. I think you're right on the money there.
0: Yep. We get so many athletes that naturally want to say my bad when they make mistakes, but I really want to encourage athletes to start thinking about. I was trying something new and, oh, that was a new one. That was a new one, like giving a reminder of something out that way so they can encourage you to do more. And I think that would also help your teammates understand mm. what that read was. If I see some pass go flying out of bounds and I see a teammate go, oh, I was trying something new, trying something new. Of course, you want that at practice. You don't want that in the game. We don't experiment
1: in games.
0: Yes, yes. But that's the point.
1: Yes. There's a nugget too. If we're not going to, we don't want them to, I would say majority of coaches out there, don't want players experimenting in games. Well then when when can they experiment? Yep. Like when are they allowed to try something or as PGC would say, you know, fall off the bike and get back on. You know, I think I think it's too many of us are in practice, we're penalizing them for turnovers or defensive gambles. And we're we're making them do consequences for things. And then in games, they're also not doing those things. Like at what point, and it needs to be practiced where they're allowed to do those things?
0: Yeah. One of the new things I'm just adding in this season is uh, because we have 6.30 a.m. practices, many of the guys come to practice looking like they just rolled out of bed and they're just walking onto the floor. Um, so what we've done is let them know that the first 10 minutes of practice is a five on five scrimmage. 10 minutes on the clock, go no rules restrictions, I'm not giving any feedback, I'm setting stuff up for practice and writing things down or whatever, they just go. And that 10 minutes, one, mentally prepares them that, oh, we get to play, all right, I'm ready to go, and all of a sudden they wake up faster. But two, that's an opportunity that it doesn't matter. I can do whatever I wanna do and there's no consequence on it, there's no score on the scoreboard, there's just a running clock until we get into practice. And whatever's mistakes that have happened in that, No one really remembers because that was just the warm up, And now I'm into the next drill. But when something went well, they start talking about it and they try to do it again later on in the practice. So it's a really good way of filtering while also bringing the energy up. And uh, just a new thing that I was like, you know, we got to bring, we got to spike the energy up early on a practice so we get more out of the first 20, 30 minutes of practice. And it's been working really well.
1: Coach, did you hear that from someone else or is that just something you thought of?
0: Just something. Coming up. With That's it, really you know, good. It's really good because,
1: yeah. I mean, Brian McCormick, uh, he, he's he's just one of my favorite guys to follow on on social media. I feel like he wrote the book Fake Fundamentals, which, sure. if anybody hasn't, it's an ebook. If anybody hasn't checked that out yet, like you need to listen to guys like that because they challenge the things that we've been doing forever, like three man weave, you know, or, or like he they challenges those things. But I, he was talking about how. For most coaches, five-on-five five is the last thing that you do. And typically, things early on in practice, all of the breakdown drills that we do uh, again and again and again, they take more time. And then by the end, you're like, oh, crap, I only have five minutes to scrimmage now. He says, and this is where I thought maybe he had to get this from Brian. He says to start that way because I love the idea what you said, one what's the most fun thing in basketball? It's competing, it's playing, you know? And so start that way with what's most fun, get them going, have that time where you don't stop it. You're not critiquing, there's no winner or loser uh, where they can really experiment. But then he said, judging from how it looked, that dictates the way they spend their time, the rest of practice, like you know when you're in five on five today, I felt like our pick and rolls we were missing some things, so we're going to spend some more time on that. What that means though so too, is we've got to give up our rigid practice plans, and it needs to maybe be a little more fluid throughout based on that time. but coach that that's a that's a great nugget there, man.
0: yeah, it's an opportunity for them to run for a few minutes. And then once they get done with that game, again, we're not taking score or anything. I bring them over and this year also is new for me. I've got a smaller whiteboard on some wheels uh, that I can bring up to the sideline that has our focus for the day. And our theme for the season right now is sharpening the ax. And that when you're sharpening the ax, it's gonna take a long time to put a really good edge on it, but that ax could be in terrible shape. But if you got the right sharp edge to it, it can chop down any tree you need to and also the idea of Abraham Lincoln talking about if he had six hours to chop down a tree spend the first four sharpening his axe we're going to do that work and I've also used that as an opportunity for them to have confidence in my coaching is that I'm going to be on you at practice about all the fundamentals and working really hard but when we get in the game y'all are just chopping down trees and I'm here making sure that you're going after the right trees and you're just chopping trees down and so that's kind of our focus is sharpening the axe and so every focus of practice, is about how we do that. And are we honing the, uh, the blade right now? And how important is the heel? And is our grip right that we're going to be able to make sure that we're doing the right chopping, you know, getting all these small ideas of what sharpening an axe looks like. Um, that's where we get to refocus on that right after that scrimmage. And then I get to say, so in that scrimmage, how do we do? Are we, are we sharpening the axe? And they go, oh, yeah, coach, we have really good passes there. You know what? we got to work better in our transition because we didn't have our heads up. We had a couple of plays. We kind of got some open layups out of it. Hmm. So we get to reflect through that time and go, perfect. Glad we're engaged mentally and physically. We got the heart rate up. Now let's get into something competitive and get you moving.
1: Stealing that because it's a great, it's a great idea. A way to communicate with your team. Uh, I am kind of getting around to the, burn your goals mentality of Joshua Metcalf. And yeah. instead of having state championship on the board and you know, all those things, we're trying to really talk about the process. And I think that's that's what it is because the these weeks of practice leading up to our first scrimmages, leading up to our first games and then our pre pre-district tournaments, all of those days and games leading up to the first district game I mean, it, it's like you want to be able to tell the guys, these don't matter. I mean, as yeah. far as wins and long, we can be guys, we can be Owen oh, and whatever. We won't be, but we could be Owen oh, and whatever before that first district game. It, it doesn't matter at that point. But if we're sharpening the ax every day, if we feel like we're moving forward, I love that, that analogy, and I think that's going to be something. I mean, how good does that look on a T-shirt too? I dig Absolutely. that, coach.
0: Yeah, I, it just really comes down to if you kept preaching about we're going to win the championship, we're going to win a championship, or do we have the idea that I want you to play in games and it feel effortless? You just play ball and everything you do just seems so much easier. Every pass and every shot, every stop feels effortless because we've worked so hard at grinding that ax down to that very sharp edge it's effortless going through. And so that's where we're going at. And then it comes down to them. Are you willing to put in the work daily and be reminded minute by minute that we have to keep grinding and grinding sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be hard sometimes and you're not going to be really enjoying a lot of this stuff, but we know that it's pushing towards something else and it's going to get better and easier every time we do it.
1: One of my favorite things to talk with coaches about is shooting. Yeah. And from from mentality to how they train, What's one way that you teach or how do you teach shooting in your program?
0: Mind-blowing idea was the videos and the information that I've heard a lot from some PGC coaches. And also Tyler Costin was talking a little bit about this too, was the idea of the toes facing the rim versus facing out shooting away from your shooting hand. Mm. Um, When I started to think about it more in the wheelchair aspect, We don't have the elevation in our shot. So we don't have the ability to corkscrew to open up the shoulder. That has to be done on the floor. And so a lot of the times we've had people teach uh, in basketball to shoot in front. And when you are there and you're stuck with your chair and no rotation, the shoulders are super tight. And so what I've taught a lot of the guys to do is with a slight roll away from your shooting hand. Going toward the basket, if you've got your body turned out and you're squaring the shoulder, that shoulder, elbow, and hip all aligned above the axle, which is the center of your big wheel, gives you power and alignment to give more uh, Mm -hmm. elevation to your shot. So we've really worked on that. And then it's also about prepping our shooters with the chair positioning they need so they don't have to adjust. A shooter in able body catches a ball that they're not facing the basket, it's a simple pivot and you're ready to shoot. Wheelchair basketball, I catch it off balance. I've got to put the ball in a hand, waiter style, pull back on a wheel to adjust myself. Now, readjust. That's I don't time. The defenders in your face. Yeah. Yeah. And so, getting yourself adjusted in the right position, having those greedy fingers with the hands up, ready to go, catching a firing. Now, your pump fake is going to sell a defender and be able to get you to go and put to the floor. Um, so, really prepping on those individual skills has really changed the way I've seen shooting. And it's also challenged the way that I learned shooting and start to talk, think about with my former coaches.
1: Explain a pump fake and, and yeah. how that the advantages that it brings. Because in, in my mind, like you said, with, with able body basketball, it's getting that defender in the air to where then you can reattack. You mentioned yeah. uh, multiple times that how, since you're on the floor, what does that do for a player?
0: Yeah. So a lot of the times when we run into a two-man games is we'll we'll call a dive and a screener. Um, So the dive basically is somebody that sits on the edge of the key, um, maybe on the first dash above the low block. So really mid-post. And the second person is sitting probably three feet behind that person. And the two defenders are in front of that first dive. So they're playing the high and the low. If I'm sitting behind it, you're creating a screen for me, but it's a stationary screen for me to get an outside shot. If I receive the ball and I'm showing it the pump fake and they flinch, I know their defensive read is is they want to come out and defend me, but they're waiting to see if I'm going to shoot it. Okay. So now I can engage more into my shot. They come out and now I can run a pick and roll two on one. If there's no flinch in my pump fake, I know that now they don't have time to come out. I can release my shot and take it down. So you're building confidence in shooters yeah. by making recognitions on defending reads.
1: Yeah, and that's the 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 shot fake is more of a- Not just necessarily making the defender choose, but it's really giving yourself time to see what they're doing. And and I I, yeah I I see that I see that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm. It's it's a unique opportunity with wheelchair ball that you know you have those uh, abilities to read chairs, and the chairs are going to react a little bit slower than somebody that would be running too. Um, But once you get somebody to move just a little bit, and you're able to get the proper positioning behind or in front of somebody. There's not much they can do. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a unique thing. You know, um, I know Coach Neighbors was talking about it. And a lot of people talk about the idea of basketball being a game of chess and that it's not a game of chess, uh, which, it's, again, it's I poker. agree. I agree. <laughs> uh, but for us, moving pieces around, we can actually, what we would say, backpick is that in transition if there's a defender trying to get back on defense and an offensive player is able to get in front of them and stop their chair you can actually eliminate a defensive player out of an entire possession mm. and keep them in the backcourt so if i've got two slow guys on defense and i'm attacking the other end i might have two of my teammates go back pick him which means just keeping them in the backcourt and now i get to attack 3 on 3 and we know 3 on 3 in an open space like that you have yeah. a lot of opportunities Um, so it changes the game of where you're able to position people. And, you know, you can live it that way. The other thing with wheelchair ball is, is if somebody flips over in their chair, so they're upside down on it, if they're out of the action of the play and they can't get up on their own, they'll be left on the ground until the play returns toward them. So So the rest not
1: stopping it.
0: um, No. So if I got a guy in transition and I'm heading away and I give him a good bump and he flips over and he can't get up. We're going five on four the other way.
1: But is it a is it a foul that just wasn't called or wasn't they didn't see it?
0: It depends on chair positioning, and it could be that he and I had really good chair positioning. He just happened to get up on my wheel. and okay. flipped him over like an inadvertent
1: um, flip. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, chucking him out to the side. That's a foul, yeah. right? Or else. Oh yeah, for that's sure. A- yeah, all
0: the physical contact. Yeah. <laughs> um, thing about you is like somebody pushing and another guy in front of them. If I were to hit the brakes and he runs into the back of me, there's not a lot of a foul based on him, but I got control over his chair and somebody will flip over forward doing that. And mm. then I take off and we're going to run that five. on Yeah. Four you,
1: five on far. fours for, but, but a, a, a long, could be a long period of time.
0: Yeah. 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 And then, so we know that when the ball or the possession is brought to them, it's a danger for them to be on the ground with wheelchairs rolling around. Yes. So the referee blows the whistle and stops it. But as long as they're out of the play, you know, we can take advantage of that. So there's that's time the, for people on the floor. Forgive me
1: for this question, but it's no, just it's my ignorance in it. Yeah. Once they're flipped, they're, they can't get back up themselves, like have to be helped back up.
0: It depends on the person. So some can, over. like Yeah, we train wow. most of our athletes to be able to get up by themselves for that purpose. Yeah. If you flip over and you're my guy and you flipped over, I'm not trying to take a five on four. You need to get up and get mm-hmm. back in on defense. So a lot of our guys really know because their chair is a part of their body. They've got yeah. multiple straps that's strapping them in. So they can do a big push-up, throw their shoulders back, land on the wheels, and they're off and running again. Yeah.
1: That's kind of awesome.
0: Oh, that's... it's so cool, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah.
1: okay, hand placement and power, you know, because yeah. that's, that's something that I would imagine maybe hand placement is similar. But I can't I, – you know, I was thinking about that because we do some shooting seated – Yes. and And I try to get our guys to be able to move back farther and farther, because when you're young, you're told and a lot of coaches will say the power comes from your lower body and i'm I'm getting the poorer more and more I'm thinking it it's a lot more upper body than anything else, and when yeah. maybe those two are in sync. Yeah, the lower body is helping from distance, but early, uh, closer around the three-point line. I want my guys, in fact, to be able to shoot from seated position from the three-point line where it is clean and, and straight through. But so that takes a lot of strength and power yeah. and it has to have, they have to have clean form. So how are you addressing that with your players?
0: So I think. In a normal 12 to 15 feet away from the basket, our guys have the strength to be able to go in a normal form in the shooting pocket and release it. But outside of that and the guys that are attempting threes, it's all about the dip and how far the dip can we get the ball to go into that. And uh, I think in the past, maybe five, six years ago, it's been like we got to eliminate the dip so we can get a faster shot off. Wow, yeah. But the more that we see – these guys shooting three balls in the NBA that have dropped really serious dips into it. If you've got the distance and the defender is not going to touch you, you might as well dip into it and give yourself the power so that your form is not uh, at risk. Mm-hmm. Because that's the big thing is, is when we're struggling to put the ball up because we don't have the legs to do it. As soon as you start to push the shoulder into it. Yeah. You start. Uh, like uh, yeah. kind of shot put. Yeah. Shot put. Yeah. So yeah, really adding the dip to it. I've got some of the guys too that even within 12 feet will do a, a dip into it because it allows them to have more power. And I'm like, anything that gets you to shoot with more arc, I'm totally fine with because shooting in wheelchair ball, you're such, you're so much lower that if you're going to shoot directly at the rim, you've got bricks all the time. You've got to have solid arc to it. And that's most of my feedback that I get for shooting. It's me sitting there with a broom in front of a guy just being like, don't hit the broom, shoot above it. Just yeah, with arc. And as long as they're lobbing it, you know, we've got a better chance of putting that ball in.
1: Around the basket, are guys working on, you know, maybe shooting outside of their body and using spin? Almost yeah. like, you know, kind of what some of these smaller guards the NBA have to do.
0: Yeah. Interesting thing for bigs in the post is that um, you've obviously got three seconds in the key. But if you bring the ball above your head and your wrist is cocked in a shooting motion, three seconds stops for our bigs, and they get five seconds to be able to hold the ball in that position. So what you do then is you've got bigs that are able to adjust their body, their core, to get away from defenders and get a clean shot. But if they remove the ball from the shooting pocket, so they bring their wrist back down, that's a three-second call, and it's automatically. Can they
1: pass from up there?
0: No, it's got to be a shot.
1: Oh, uh, So once they yes. do this and that time starts, they can't go boop and dump it but, off. Okay.
0: Right. <laughs> but because of that, they know that when they enter the key and they receive the ball, their first action is usually something low. a fake pass or crossed mm-hmm. to engage the defender's arms down. Mm-hmm. And then they bring it up into the post where they now know that they have a few more seconds to settle themselves. And the defenders are coming up in action, hitting the arm as they shoot, and they're getting a post shot. So there's some strategy involved in there about your timing of what you've yeah. got. And then it's also using the chair. You know, the chair is going to be a part of it that I want to use the front part of my chair that's the furthest distance from the defender and really get some separation. Um, and what we'll train, too, is some fadeaway action. Um, because with the chair, if you're able to get a push off of a defender, your chair will slowly fade backwards, which creates more space from the defender uh. and allows you to release. So it is as you were catching the ball, if you can push into a defender and they basically bounce off of them,
1: yeah. you can
0: get a slight fade away from the defenders and get into it. Um so yeah, small techniques on the post where it just gives them some more creativity.
1: What about offhand interference, thumbing it, pushing with two? Is that something you focus on? Or cause I, I've kind of gone back and forth even with with younger players, you know, definitely trying to get their their thumb or their offhand from pushing and adding forced to it, but older players, there's this whole idea of if it's not broke, don't fix it with shots sometimes.
0: Yeah. I think we're at a whole nother level when it comes to wheelchair ball is that we have many athletes that come in and in the lack of better words, their shot is broken. You know, They did not do the skills they needed to, unfortunately, because the club programs they came from were not coached by coaches. They were coached by volunteer parents or whoever could do it. And so they were shooting just to get the ball to the rim. And so we got some kids that are, yeah, doing the two-handed shots, some doing the one-handed catapult launching type Mm. of shots. And you can see that it has really impacted their way of shooting. And now I've just kind of put some Band-Aids on it to go, like, how do we get the most out of this shot? So we'll have some guys that are still two-handed shooters. Um, The one-handed cockback, I kind of got to kill that one because that's more of a a safety thing is that if you're going back like that, you got a defender behind you and you get pulled back and get flipped over, you got a lot of problems that way. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a lot of manipulating that way, but we do definitely have players that use offhand thumb or offhand push for generating power because they haven't had the power in the past. And hopefully we've done the right work in our strength and conditioning to build that. So mm. then they can start to reduce that uh, that offhand shooting work on the power.
1: That's a good point. That's a good point of of your strength and conditioning because- there's always this idea with uh, you know with basketball players that they they don't need the weight room. I think we're I think we are far beyond that now. That everybody I mean everybody sees the value in it and what it can do for your game. But that's another. If you do have like a, some of these higher skilled players that do shoot it really well, you know why do I even need the weight room? Well, because the increase in strength will enhance your ability, what you already can do. I think that might be another way to tie in the importance of the weight room to players.
0: Yeah, it's important for the athletes to understand too that the weight room is not about getting big. You know, like that's a a good thing that's involved in it. But for us, explosiveness is a big mm. one. And a lot of the things that we do in the lifting gym is explosive. If we're on the bench, a lot of times our bench is an explosive push and then a slow retreat down, another explosive push to mm. replicate our pushing. Um, yeah. And then flexibility is a big one. We always do flexibility flexibility exercises in with our lifting. So these guys are doing a lot of like window washing on a wall, really stretching out their shoulders and yeah. getting extra work in. And, you know, we got guys that are putting up big weights. And then the next exercise, they've got two pounders doing full and empty cans. And you can see them sweating and shaking because they got these two pounders that they're extending out. And it's not about the weight and about the size. It's about what you can do that empowers you to be better on court.
1: Coaches, the Jamodi podcast is powered by Shoot360. The future of basketball has arrived in Dallas-Fort Worth. Shoot360 combines the latest sports technology with the fundamentals of basketball skill development. The result is a -a one-of-a-kind video game-like basketball program designed to improve your shooting, dribbling, and passing. Visit shoot360dfw.com to learn more and register for your free one-hour workout evaluation. Shoot360, the future of basketball, is here. I have, since meeting you and following you on social media, I've seen how intentional you are with your your social media platforms. I, I can't remember who did who what podcast I was listening to It was uh, 2008 or nine, I think. But he said, if you're a coach and you're not using social media to enhance your program, then you're behind. And as a competitor, I don't want to be behind in anything. And so I, I took that to heart. How do you yeah. use social media to enhance your program?
0: Yeah. So for me, I had to learn Photoshop Um, and it was something and maybe like three or four years in, we don't have the extra staff to be like a social media coordinator or anything else like that. But I knew that our athletic department was coming out with some really great stuff and there was going to there's got to be some way of doing it. Um, so I truly got Photoshop and just started to play around with it and with different ideas. And when I look back at my first images to what I have now, there's been some major changes when it comes to that. Um, but the importance is, is that I think the athletes feel more like athletes when they're represented on social media as mm. athletes. Mm. And when they also, for our athletes being as similar to our uh, able body counterparts, that makes a huge difference. And I also think it's expanding our ability to represent our game better by putting more into what it looks like, because Instagram is really the platform that everybody is connecting with that way. Um, The other side of it is, is instruction and how we virtually give instruction Um, for my athletes. I love doing PDFs and videos that show different things that we might be working on at practices. It's way easier to draw out a play of what we're going to do and send that virtually first so they get a perspective, and then we can break it down further when we get into practice, uh, especially something that's very rare and new that we want to get going. Um, And then the instructional work that we really built on during COVID for our summer camps that we ran some virtual camps here through the university that we got to teach, and we got to interact with coaches and players around the world that play wheelchair basketball to understand that our program being a great foundation for. fundamental skills. We got to teach those to the world. So, um, I'm always learning and I always feel that I'm behind as well. Uh, but it's, it's good to interact with the youth and ask them what is good, what's coming up next. Um, and, and understanding too, that we always will see the next thing and go, Oh, I don't want to be a part of that. And the unfortunate side is, is as soon as we get that feeling, we're already past, you know, we're already done. Uh, the idea of right now is with TikTok right? Like TikTok is the way people are interacting on there. And how great would it be if a quick TikTok video gave instruction and showed more about your program to the community and to your athletes? Um, so that's that's the path we're going after. <laughs>
1: uh, some light bulb moments there for me. The first one, uh, I've been using social media a ton, and I, I I've always with our program, looked at the branding aspect. Like this is a free way to let people know the amazing things that we're doing in our program and to celebrate the players. I never thought about, though, the players themselves viewing our program as like like they're even more invested, more a part of it. This is – it's even more important to them because of what we – do. I knew they'd like it. But I didn't look at it, that, that type of maybe buy-in that we might be getting by using that. So that, that was an interesting nugget there.
0: It, it really came full circle for me when I started to get really good with the Photoshop and we had our team photographer doing a media day where we could take photos of the athletes in different poses so I could use them for graphics in the future. And the athletes were always like, can I get the photos, can I get the photos? And I was like, no, no, I'm gonna use them for editing throughout the season. I don't want you just throwing them out there. And over the last two years, we just decided, you know what, let's just give them to the athletes and let them share them. And they've been so much more engaged and they've Mm. been sharing them out to the community and they really understand the impact of what those are, that it's just like, it's, it's necessary now for them to get them those images and let them use them because it's an identity thing. We have our personal identity in front of people and we also have our virtual identity and they had, that has something that gives them a positive confidence.
1: And I never, Coach, I never thought about asking my players what are some things that we should be doing on social media. Yeah, Like all these old coaches before me, or I I've just decided this is what we're doing, and you like it, players. You, <laughs> you yeah. enjoy it. You share it. And, but what if there's something out there that – I mean, I try to watch programs like Baylor, and you know when they do a get to know like this year, I'm going to experiment with get to know your player videos instead of just the photo because Baylor did this really cool thing with their player. They, you know they would have the the question at the bottom and their answer, and they're kind of like in this dark room. And you know why not use video for that? And yeah, but um, well, man, that was a good point. Of they know way more than we do. And the and, and, and kudos to you for having the ability of, I don't like this at all. It doesn't make sense. It's dumb to me. Oh man, we probably should have already been doing it. (laughs) That's that's a good point. It's important to
0: them, right? It's, It's not about what's important to you. It's what's important to them and what we can give to them. And it's fun to see the unique things that they come up with and they may see and starting to filter that as well. Um, One of the exciting things that I'm looking forward to doing with the athletes is another team building exercise is I want to know what's going on and what what they think about themselves and what they are putting in their own head when it comes to social media. Hmm. And one of the things that you do on Instagram is that if you just go to a random search and you click one of the videos and you just start flipping it's already has an algorithm that's gone based on what you've seen in the past and what you normally look at. And I'm interested to see if the athletes are willing to flip through 10 random videos to see what their algorithm is compared to ours. Cause mine is all about basketball instruction and motivation and all this. Yeah. And I would love to see what's getting pumped into their head every day when they're flipping through and how is that impacting them? And mm-hmm. I want to see if there's some similarities, what happens there because Whether we like it or not, social media impacts our athletes every day. And it would be great if we taught them the skills to be able to handle those before it becomes a negative thing.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I think Adam Bradley with Lead Up, he said that uh, every day when his kids get home, he feels like he has to bring them back because they're just being influenced, not just by people that they're in front of, but if they do have that device and those algorithms Yeah, without even realizing it, they're getting indoctrinated into all types of things. And he felt like that he needed to do that. I think as coaches, we can help our players maybe maybe to stay away from some of those, the negative self-image aspects of social media and, and use it for what it could be, what you and I use it for, which is an incredible way to learn and to connect and to grow, but Maybe that comes with age too. The fact that we see, I mean, I don't know about you. I am thankful that Facebook came to Baylor my senior year and and we were in the Student Life Center and all these people around the 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 community computers back in the day that you could go oh use and they're like come here come here you got to set up your profile I'm like what is what is it like it's Facebook the or the Facebook and I'm like <laughs> whatever and you know but thankfully it wasn't around then because yeah. it's just hard it's difficult now and that's a great way coach for us to be without being you know too intrusive more involved with them.
0: If you're creating a platform and your identity on a platform and you show them what it should look like and what you believe it should look like, you're giving them a good example. Us not having a profile on a platform shows them that they can do whatever they want. And I think it's really important for us to show what a positive view of being on social media looks like and how great would that be is if you put in the work to show them what it is rather than getting on there is going, you shouldn't have this on there and you shouldn't have that on there. Uh, I think it's important to take the lead that way.
1: How big is the the platforms of players you're recruiting? How, how important is that? Like, do you look through that? Because I've heard a lot of coaches say that, you know, they will not recruit a player based on some things that they find in their feeds or in their profiles. Yeah.
0: Most of the early conversation I have with recruits is through Instagram because that's the easiest way for them to try to communicate with me. It's like their version of texting, but without text. Um, But yeah, it's a big one is to see what they're posting and what they're kind of sharing out to the world. And it also is really interesting how Facebook is dying off when it comes to that, is that I used to be able to interact with them on Facebook as well, but many of them have no Facebook profile at all. It's just Instagram and something else. Mm. And it's now interacting with the parents via Facebook and interacting with the kids via Instagram or something else. Um, Yeah. Interesting transition. And uh, I'm interested to see what happens next and see what the next one is Uh, I don't know if you're you know of Be Real is a new app that they have now which apparently is an app that notifies you once a day that you've got to take a photo at that moment It has a certain time frame and you've got to be real and show you exactly what you're doing at that moment and it's a selfie cam and a front facing or a back facing cam at the same time and that's when you take the photo and so if they opportunity to show at any time during the day, I've got to show you what I'm doing and sharing at that moment. Um, I don't understand it yet, but it's something that I've got to understand because I know that it's gonna be something that's gonna be moving forward.
1: I've never heard of that before. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Be what yourself. me you and I we might be getting real really quick because cause, <laughs> cause it, again, it's a really good point that you said it. it the fact that I'm just now hearing about it. Mm-hmm. I'm probably really behind.
0: Yeah. I'm or probably behind. If, they, if we think it's really cool and we join it before they do, well, then it's not cool anymore. We'll
1: drown it out before. Yes. That's it. Coaches, if you don't yeah. want something to happen, just get on it. Yeah. Act like it's really cool. And, we'll we'll just we'll tear it apart
0: tell your kids about it that how cool it is to be on be real i've got a great story on be real they're like no coach that's not it i don't want that anymore yeah
1: yeah, all the all the investors in be real are like we need to get these adults these coaches off of this thing they're killing us right now there's gonna be an age
0: limit immediately all right
1: coach the speed round Okay. Uh, this is how we get to know, we know about your, your coaching and your basketball, uh, stuff, but now the real important things you ready.
0: Yeah. 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 Let's
1: do it. Favorite ice cream flavor.
0: Ben and Jerry's fish food. It's good. Solid. It's got a little bit of everything. Yeah. In it. I'm a chocolate freak. I love chocolate. So something that's got chocolate in there. Solid. Solid. Yeah.
1: How many hours of sleep do you get versus how much you need?
0: So it's 6:30 practices. It's kind of early. Um, I shoot for eight and I usually get six to seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I would imagine. I mean, you you're probably getting up. Jocko, uh, the the n- former Navy SEAL one, I love his 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 energy drinks. They're they're gotcha. they've got a small amount of caffeine, but the ingredient list is only like three or four things instead of the paragraph of things you can't even pronounce anyway uh but i follow
0: yeah 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 yeah. yeah.
1: i love him Uh, but he um i follow him on social media he gets up around 4 30 every day and he posts a picture um he'll probably be reeling it for sure uh (laughs) at 4 30 every day but post picture with the date and time but i'm assuming you're getting up pretty early
0: yeah, and I want to be there before the athletes make sure the gym's good to go, too. So, yeah, I'm there pretty early, and it's just a, it's a long day. We go from 6.30 in the morning until I'm usually here at 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. So it's long days, but we make it work.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Best basketball movie of all time?
0: I'm a 90s kid, so I'm going to go Space Jam. Nice.
1: Okay. <laughs> Thoughts on Space Jam 2?
0: I didn't see it, don't want to see it, and not really interested in it. <laughs> that's how I felt, too. Don't ruin a classic. Don't ruin a classic. Uh, they did. Mm, they did.
1: Cool. I like LeBron, but I it made me appreciate how great of an actor Michael Jordan was.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Wow. That's saying a
0: lot, too. That's saying a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell me the shot clock. In wheelchair basketball, what's the shot yeah. clock uh, situation?
0: Uh, it's 30-second shot clock for our okay. guys. Yeah, and that's the okay. college shot clock. When we go to the uh, adult, like D1, they go to 24, mm-hmm. but every, uh, but uh, our college side is 30.
1: Okay. So this is, I mean, just in your opinion, because in Texas, we don't have a shot clock for sure. high schools. For high schools, shot clock or no shot clock? What do you think? Uh,
0: definitely shot clock. Yeah. Anything that can prepare them to go to the next level, um, I mean, that's that's our hard part for us is that we have a classification system for wheelchair basketball where you are evaluated based on your physical ability and for college ball with your number from uh, 110 to 4.5 on a 0.5 scale we're only allowed to play 14 points between the five people on the floor and so you have to do some quick math to figure out who you can play and that being set aside our high school kids don't get classifications they're in a what they call a j1 j2 so either in the J-1, which is the lower classification, or J-2 higher. So we're pushing the juniors and the high school kids to go, hey, let's get them classified too. So the one, they understand what their class is. And then two, we know. So when I recruit a kid, I'm not guessing what their number is going to be until they get here. And I go, oh, no, they are a different number than what they thought they were. Um, who, yeah.
1: who establishes what their, what their number is?
0: yeah we have certified classifiers that are people that get trained to evaluate what it looks like and what things that people can do for different ability levels and we evaluate them that way so your one one fives are people that are uh you know from the chest down have very little balance and they struggle in all different planes twos have a little bit more than those ones do Threes like myself have pretty much all core, but struggle outside a certain level. And then your fours are people that basically have no disability or might have an amputation or something. And like I said, you can only play 14 points. So I can't play a bunch of fours where I'm over points. It's basically our anti-kickball rule where you get the scrawny kid always gets picked last. We can't have that because that disability, they didn't have a chance to you know, not be that person. So now somebody that is a low point player that is decent at passing the ball or shooting become one of the most powerful and
1: great
0: players on the court.
1: Yeah, I got, my first thought was, okay, this basically keeps Alabama football from ever happening, right? (laughs) Because they they have all the best talent at every position. Uh All of their players are 4.5s at their positions, you know, but they're all out there. So it, it stops that. But then I would imagine too, it has to do a lot with your philosophy of how you want to play yeah. because you're you're going to make sure I, I, if you were going to run everything through the post, mm-hmm. you would want to have that 4.5 there and you yes. could afford it. If you wanted more speed and, and got, then you, I, I'm guessing, but is that yeah. is so that kind of right on 100% the money? On
0: it. Yeah, you're 100% on it. So if we wanted somebody that so we wanted to play bigs in the post, Our littles and our low pointer players need to be people that can handle the ball and can give it up into the post and pass it. Or you go the flip side, which we would call tweeners, which would be twos and threes. You could spread out and have several in the threes and twos across the board. And they all could be really fast with mediocre kind of balance ability. And you just run on people and you go with the transition game. I I love that. I
1: love that because you're, you're, you nailed it. The, the 1.5s that, are really skilled. Yeah, they are so valuable
0: Sold because they
1: allow yeah. for more higher level players to be around them. But like with your kickball analogy, because you could go two four point fives and three little little ones. But you know, but if they can't hoop, then
0: and it, sometimes teams do that where they'll take two really strong fours, play them, and the other three are just guys getting in the way. And just causing problems and picking and doing stuff. And for us, we look at that from the outside view and go, "Oh, that's kind of unfortunate that they get you don't allow them to really play and get better." Um, but there's some international teams that will play that way, where they'll play two bigs, two little class ones, and somebody that can handle the ball, and they just say bigs attack the key and just go after him. And if you don't have any bigs on the floor to bounce with, wow. them, I yeah. can't jump up and block a big. Right. I'm stuck in my chair. So if a big gets close to the hoop, I'm just waving at him as he shoots that ball over top of me.
1: How big is the, because I, I was, I was talking with a player the other day. He he, yeah. he sent me a photo of some Juco players and, and kind of was like, man, why aren't they, why aren't they division one players? And, and I, it was just a photo. I couldn't tell, but I was like, you know, most likely they're, they're not that tall. There's some physical abilities. Sometimes, though, it's it is skill. Sometimes it's grade. Sometimes it's other things. But like that, the biggest difference when I go to like to a Division One game, and sometimes I forget how big they were, you know, when I was out there. But like, what? Uh, how big is the ath- athletic attributes, the wingspan, the height, things like that, in wheelchair basketball?
0: Yeah, I think with ivory sport, there's variations of it. Yeah. Um, But it also depends on the disability. So you have Mm. some kids that are born with their disability that may have an impact to what their length and their uh, body structure is. But others you have that are late injuries. And we'll have people that come in that played able body ball their whole life and then maybe had a car accident when they were 19 and now they're getting into wheelchair ball. And what's really interesting is the unique aspects of able body players injured late is their court awareness and their ability to pass. And it's very interesting that both of those items come with able-bodied players that were injured late, got the opportunity to do more free play than those that were born with a disability and had to be in adaptive sports immediately. Wow. see that interesting break that's in between those. And we push our junior coaches all the time of, you've got to give them an opportunity to have a lot of free play. because you imagine, <clears throat> you and all your, in uh, your kids, have been using small ball sports probably all their lives is baseball or hockey or something mm-hmm. like that. For us, for adaptive sports, you usually get one sport you like and you stick with that. And a lot of it is either basketball or track. And so you don't get access to small ball skills in that hand-eye coordination. Wow! So there's a lot of that extra stuff that gets into the sport that just, you wouldn't think that would be no some impact.
1: This is the longest speed run I've ever had, but it's really good. I'm not. All right, all right. Uh, texting or talking.
0: Uh, texting on the phone, talking in person. Does that does that work?
1: Like a, like like texting so on the phone. Yeah,
0: te- texting if I'm using my phone rather than a FaceTime uh-huh. or or calling somebody. But if I'm in person, I want to. If I had the opportunity to be in person, I want to talk. Nice, that makes text. sense. Yeah.
1: yeah. Favorite holiday.
0: Thanksgiving, Hmm. opportunity to get everybody back together. And uh, it's interesting that for us, for wheelchair ball, Thanksgiving break for us usually happens. And so that's something that we get to experience for Christmas break. It's usually like you got it. And then we're moving in. We're getting to go. Our guys are back on campus right after new Year's, So we can start getting some two-a-day training going. Um, So Christmas just feels like a whirlwind and then we're right back into the sport. And I like
1: that in basketball. Who is the goat?
0: Michael Jordan. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, knew, Jordan. I knew I liked you. There's <laughs> the.
0: I I grew up in Detroit, an hour north of Detroit, and so I was a big Detroit fan. And growing up, I was the bad boy era when I was a mm. kid. So Isaiah Thomas is also right there. And I was very fortunate that I got to visit the Basketball Hall of Fame because the guy that created our program was being honored there. Oh, awesome! And I got to meet Isaiah and get a photo with him, and I was like. I, I, that was the uh, moment I got to see a celebrity, and I lost words, and was just like, uh, uh, "Sir, can I get a photo?" You know, <laughs> I lost.
1: Should it. he have been on the '92 uh, Dream Team?
0: Oh, oh, oh. uh we'll never know. We'll never know.
1: <laughs> if, if, if Jordan hadn't gonna... kept him out, then... <laughs>
0: yeah, yep. Jordan, yeah. Yep. Um,
1: favorite place to travel:
0: Japan, Tokyo. Yeah, I've been very fortunate to be able to travel several times there and run wheelchair basketball camps in Tokyo. That's cool. Yeah, big group over there. So I love Tokyo. That's my favorite place.
1: Two more. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day?
0: No coffee. Never had a full cup of coffee. (laughs) All right. I know, right. I know, but it, it's weird though. It's hard because that's a great bonding experience and being like with another coach, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee and do it. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of an awkward moment. No, but not it's a not a big caffeine guy. Yeah. Like uh, I mean, I, if I need it, I'll find it from somewhere whether yeah. it's uh, with an energy drink or a soda or something like that. But yeah. yeah, coffee is just not it for me.
1: That's fair, that's fair. Last one, Godfather, Star Wars, or neither? Neither. Interesting. What's your favorite genre to go to?
0: It's comedy. Nice. It's comedy. I'm a sucker for a dumb Will Ferrell movie and it's, I love the laugh, you know? yeah. That's
1: awesome. Well, coach, this has been so much fun, man. Like and so it just fun. I felt like it's just an extension of the conversation we had at the PGC retreat, but yeah. I just I just want to th- say thank you so much for coming on and talking hoops with me. It was a blast.
0: Matt, I really appreciate it. It was exciting. And this also gets me excited too, because I want to get into this space as well for our wheelchair basketball community. Um, so if anybody's interested in that, the next step that I'm taking outside of Illinois basketball is working on a program for developing wheelchair basketball called Axel the Caster Basketball. So if anyone's interested in that, Axel the Caster Basketball will be the thing to find on social media. Be really cool if i get some people to check that out
1: love that and just in case anybody does want to reach out to you for for any reason what's the yeah. best way
0: yeah they can find us on our social media it's a line which is wheelchair basketball um or they can just find me coach bushy on any of the social media sites that's uh coach bushy b-u-c-h-i
1: coach this was i mean this is one of my favorite conversations and oh, you man. gave me so much, so much time. Uh, just really appreciate everything about you, what you're doing. It's awesome,
0: man. That's what it's all about. Sharing the light, man. I love it. Thank you for checking out today's
1: episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamodi podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.